Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the Daily DLP. I'm your host, Ash Thompson, and today we're going to go over the things that make the Seattle Seahawks who and what they're going to be on Sunday against the Detroit Lions. Lions fans. It's time for the podcast you've been waiting for. The show where Kool-Aid runs blue, faces turn red, and rose-colored glasses never go out of style. This is the Detroit Lions Podcast. And to start with a quote from Seahawks quarterback Geno Smith about the Seahawks lost to the Rams in week one. For those who are not following, the Seahawks were a playoff team last year and opened the season at home against their division rival. They dropped that game 30-13 and didn't score a point in the second half. Matthew Stafford threw for 334 yards and no touchdowns. The Seahawks gave up 119 receiving yards each to Pukunukua and Tutu Atwell. And in a post-game interview, Gino was not directly addressing their defense until partway through. He started as all semi-self-aware quarterbacks do by taking the bulk of the blame himself. He then repeatedly said that it just looked like the Rams were trying harder than the Seahawks and wanted to win more. He then said that the Seahawks' youth might be the reason why they didn't try hard. Uh, quick check. The Rams' average age is 25.3 years old, and the Seahawks' average age is 25.5. not sure that assessment passes the smell test. That may not be the issue there. Teams tend to go one way or the other when they get called up by the quarterback for lack of effort. Knowing the guys the Seahawks have on their roster, like Quandre Diggs and Bobby Wagner, I suspect that if this is legitimately an issue, they'll probably have it handled going into Week 2 against the Lions. But maybe it was injuries. They were down Jamal Adams, who is definitely not only on the team because his cap hit is $11 million and the dead cap for cutting him would be $30 million over two years. Uh, rumored Lions draft target Devon Witherspoon also didn't play. But the Rams were completely healthy, right? Oh, wait, no. They gave up 30 to a Rams offense that didn't have Cooper Cup in it. In all seriousness, the Seahawks did lose their right tackle and left tackle during the game, and Tyler Lockett missed some time while he was being evaluated for a concussion before returning in the fourth quarter. Uh, your offense isn't going to be clicking on all cylinders with Stone Forsyth and Jay Curhan as your bookends of your line. The receiving core was basically the equivalent for a huge part of the game of trying to fight with an arm tied behind your back. Witherspoon is said to have a good chance to play this week, uh, but that tackle problem is going to be an ongoing issue for the Seahawks. Uh, both Cross and Lucas are reportedly not really fully practicing. I guess we'll, we'll get injury reports prior to the game, uh, but I'm pre-taping this one a little bit, so I'm not sure exactly whether or not they're going to play, but it's they both got sprains, which, which even if they are playing, they're probably not going to play super well. They're injuries that do tend to linger. Remember all offseason when everyone was telling you when talking about the Lions' offensive line depth that it was a problem throughout the entire league? None of us were joking. We were definitely not wrong. Uh, the Seahawks did add Jason Peters, 
future Hall of Famer to their practice squad, but he's 41 years old, and man, it's real unlikely he's going to be in game shape less than a week after signing a contract and not being with the team all offseason. Maybe it was the coaching. I mean, Pete Carroll's a legend. Specifically, he's a legendary motivator. Not in the tough love, getting in your face, making you do push-ups until you puke kind of way, but in the kind and caring guy who has your best interest at heart, so you want to go out there and play for him kind of way. The Seahawks are a young team, and it does take some time to build that kind of rapport with people. I don't think it's that Carroll is an old man and that that's the problem and that he's lost touch with the youths. I think it's just a lack of task on time together with the entire roster. In any case, this is early in the year, and you can't really draw sweeping conclusions about an opponent being a train wreck this season based off of a single game or a coach being cooked or a receiver group having been vastly overrated by the majority of media. Week one's weird every year. The Lions just beat a Super Bowl champion. So what are the Lions going to see in Sunday from the Seahawks? Well, let's start with what we hope they'll see. Uh, if Charles Cross and Abraham Lucas, the right and left tackle, are not playing in week two, that's great for the Lions. As per BF PFF, both of those guys were actually playing really well against the Rams before they came out of the game. And Gino was definitely not under fire during the first half. If Jason Peters, who's 41 years old and did not go to training camp, can't step in this week, that is also great for the Lions. In week one, the Seahawks expected to have reasonably good protection on the outside. When they lost that, their entire offensive game plan fell apart, and they had two yards of offense total in the second half of that game. So to say that not having those guys on the field is very good for the Lions may be underestimating it a little bit. Their whole offensive paradigm is based on running the ball to set up play-action deep shots. And when they can't run the ball or protect on those deep shots, there's not really much of a statistical basis for this offense being able to do anything at that point. So if they don't have the offensive tackles and they can't reinvent their entire offense in a week, what we're going to see from the Seahawks is a team that can't run the ball and gives up a ton of sacks. But that's where having an old coach who's seen everything a dozen times comes in handy. Having a young offensive coordinator isn't necessarily going to help that. Like Shane Waldron was the bell of the ball last year, guiding the Seahawks offense to great success while Russell Wilson was in Denver playing terribly. But he's not a well-renowned motivator. So if effort is the issue, that could be a continuing ongoing problem. The reason for Seattle's fall off under Wilson at the end was said to be not being able to get Wilson to play within the offensive scheme. And if a team's scheme is more important to the success than the players that they have, it's very likely that they'll continue to see it that way and not change based on the capabilities of their players. And we Lions fans have seen what the right answer, but not for these guys, coaching style looks like. That was the Matt Patricia era in his version of the Patriot way. I genuinely believe the Seahawks will just try to run the ball and set up deep shots no matter who they have along the line. So the first key to the game for the Lions, stopping the run. Specifically, stopping the run with a nickel defense. The Seahawks need to get the Lions into a base defense to create more space in the passing game. It just widens the seams in the zone defense, 
and makes it easier to create mismatches in the passing game. This is why the addition of C.J. Gardner-Johnson and Brian Branch was so important for the Lions' defense, but it's also something that could lead to more defensive snaps for Tracy Walker this week, as it is something he is very good at. Those three guys aren't going to do a linebacker's job. They're not stacking and shedding offensive linemen. Those are That's three 200-pound guys. They're not going to take on 300-pound guys and win. So the second key is the interior defensive linemen. Olin McNeil and Benito Jones did a great job against Kansas City of creating a mess in the middle of the field. When you do that, and if you go check out the DLP TikTok, I go over the way the Lions handled the Chiefs running game there. It leaves the linebackers free to flow to the ball, and then the linebackers can handle multiple gaps in the run game. Specifically, there was a goal line run, the defense stuff last week, where Olim and Benito made such a mess that it allowed Alex Anzalone, who started the player, lined up in the gap between the center and the guard to get outside and contain the run play unopposed, forcing the running back back inside to just run into that mess and get tackled. So specifically, whoever the team's two 300-pound guys in a nickel defense are need to be commanding three blockers, or if they're not commanding three blockers, just blowing up the play themselves like they did last week against the Chiefs. Another key for the defense, the pass rushers need to stay aware. It's tempting to just come off the edge at a million miles an hour because the tackles are out, or at best hurt. You might even rack up a multi-sack game doing that, which is far from a bad thing. Don't get me wrong on that, uh, but if the Seahawks can't run, they're going to start relying on the short passing game on first and second down to make third downs more manageable. Coming off the edge like you're at a Jim Schwartz wide nine defense at that point opens up throwing lanes for quick patterns. If the QB hits a three-step drop depth and he's looking to throw, the James Houston special, burst and bend off the edge, is just taking him completely out of the play so that Geno Smith can see his outside receivers on slants and the tight ends or Jackson Smith and Jigbo on quick outs. That's the evolution of their offense if they can't run the ball. And the pass rushers need to be ready to pull up and get their hands into passing lanes when that change is made. And finally, the safeties can't get sucked up toward the line by those short passes. The corners and linebackers need to handle the short stuff well enough that the safeties don't feel like they need to come up. Because in the end, everything the Seahawks offense is trying to set up is to get DK Metcalf or Tyler Lockett deep for big plays down the field. Lions defensive front nine needs to handle everything inside 15 yards and let the safeties be a deep shell over the top. So how about the Lions offense? What do they need to do? Well, the first thing they need to do is back off the deep coverage from the safeties. If the entire Lions offense occurs within 20 yards of the line, there's no easy way to win in the NFL. The Lions completed five of eight passes against the Chiefs that went 15 yards or longer in the air, but only one of those completions was 20 yards downfield, and only two attempts were longer than 20 yards. All but one of those completions was in the inner third of the field, and that one was just barely outside of that. Of the Lions' 13 passes outside the middle third of the field, three were deeper than eight yards, five were less than five yards in the air. Having a passing chart that looks like a trapezoid is a problem. 
If the Lions can't get in some deep shots, this is going to be a rough day. The Seattle Seahawks defensive scheme is literally designed to clog up the passing lanes inside that trapezoid. The Lions receivers may just win battles and make plays. Like, come on. I'm on St. Brown definitely will, but this can't be a continuing recurring issue for the team. Khalif Raymond is the Lions receiver with enough speed to make this happen, and he was a ghost against Kansas City. They hardly played him at all. I think getting Raymond more involved as an outside deep threat is the first point of order for this offense. It's a role he's not exactly perfectly suited for because of his small size, but he's the best option the Lions have out there. And he will catch the ball if the Seahawks don't cover him. Just his presence and his speed opens up space underneath for Laporta and St. Brown to get work done, as well as taking the safeties out of the running game. So what's our second thing? Let's talk about Jameer Gibbs a little bit. I don't care about your fantasy team. Nobody cares about your fantasy team. Nobody will ever care about your fantasy team. I'm playing in multiple leagues this year, and if you hear about them at all on the show, it'll be me making fun of myself for having done something stupid. The Lions erred on the side of leaning on veterans to begin the opening road game against the Chiefs, as they should, and they won, so they were right. Gibbs, however, was the only real spark on the offense, but you don't get that same spark on 25 touches that you do on 12 or 13. He's not there to take eight third and one carries up the gut, though he is very capable in tight quarters. If somebody tells you that he can't go up the middle and be effective, you should stop paying attention to what they have to say. But that's not the same, mind you, as people telling you that the Lions shouldn't make that his regular job because he's 200 pounds and that will just end with your most dynamic offensive player on injured reserve for the season. That's good analysis. Those are two different things. You'll hear both from people. But the bottom line is the Lions need to get Gibbs the ball more, particularly until week seven when they get something more dangerous on the outside back from his gambling suspension. That's the second point of order for the offense. They need to find a way to get Gibbs the ball more because it might compensate for their lack of a deep threat in terms of creating explosive offensive plays. But if they don't do thing one, thing two is harder to do and it's less effective. As a third point of order... You know what? I don't really have anything super specific. I could just say the same things that are true about every game. They need to dominate up front in the running and passing game. They need to not turn the ball over. All those things that you could say about every football game that's ever been played. So I'm just going to group it all together and say they need to take care of the little things. It's tempting to look at what the Rams just did to this defense and think that they're going to be an easy out. That would be a mistake. The devil is definitely in the details. Sean McVay and Matthew Stafford had an entire offseason to prepare for that game. Ben Johnson and Jared Goff have about 10 days. There are no Eastern Middle Tennessee Techs in the NFL. The offense needs to bring the A game in week two. Go to DetroitLionsPodcast.com slash store and buy things. That's my ad read. Have a great day. Let's bring it here together. Let's go. Let's go. Lions on three. One, two, three. Yes. You've had enough of that shit.